How to Survive Deathmatch Project. Welcome to episode 39. Hey, what's up everybody? I'm your host Georg Lohr and this is the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. You get know-how, tools, processes and more surplus information in this podcast or in a nutshell, I give you my best for your success in embedded systems projects. Hopefully you guys remember episode 37, that was the last solo episode, we talked about Deathmatch projects, how to identify them, what their characteristics are, the reasons they happen and about your decision to stay for them. Episode 37 was the introduction. Beginning with this episode, I wanted to emphasize the four major aspects how to survive a Deathmatch project. Today, I will present you the first of these aspects. We are talking about negotiations in Deathmatch projects. But first, I will give you also some support in making your decision at all and for your work in Deathmatch projects. And also this week, I wanted to highlight a feedback forwarded to me this time by Andreas Krassel. Originally written in German, I translated, Hi Gerrit, I wanted to compliment you for your enthusiasm and your professionally prepared content. Your worries about understandability, quality in speech are for no reason. Maybe even a little bit overdriven at all. Natural flow of speech, central thread and comprehensive content is more important when chunking for 20 to 30 minutes common understandability of faultless syntax and semantics. Ooh, that makes me really... Uh, yeah, it's a relief. So, and he continues, if you need one hour to discuss one topic in depth, then it is exactly the right amount of time for it. Overall, everybody's decision to stay or leave is supported by your introduction, which I have already done for this episode. So thank, of, thank you, Andreas, for your kind and supportive words. As always, it's a pleasure to prepare the contents for you guys and an honor that you guys spent your time to listen to me. So thanks a lot. And this feedback, by the way, comes right in time for the one-year anniversary of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Yes, it's already one year ago I have started. It was July 2015. I released the first episode, uh, episode zero, and then afterwards the episode one, of course. In the meantime, I have become acquainted with a lot of interesting, thrilling, and awesome people who I would have never met without this podcast. So thank you very much to you guys in the audience. That's all now for my kind of public service announcement. Mm. Okay, that's all for my public service announcement. <laughs> Let's go on for this episode. But no, hold on. As always, you find the show notes and the links for this episode at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 39. Now we are ready. Let's jump right in and find out. Stay tuned and be inspired. Well, let's jump back to the decision, which was outstanding. Stay or leave the upcoming Deathmatch project. So the key point here is to understand your own motivation at the beginning of a Deathmatch project. So that, that you can make a rational decision, that you, whether you join or look for some else project anywhere. Rational decisions are not easy, as often Deathmatch projects are initiated during periods of great corporate stress and emotion. And you might get swept away by emotion, so as mentioned, either by your colleagues or your managers at all. But the main thing is, before you decide, you should have an additional evaluation you might not even consider yet. 
This is, of course, no operational advice about managing, planning or carrying out a deathmatch project, but please take into account to identify politics. So what I want to say is, before you make a decision, and even if you continue when afterwards, or especially if you continue afterwards, you should consider politics. First of all, identify the political players involved into the project. There are no chances to survive the project if you do not know the key players. So key players are regularly some guys like the owner, the customer, shareholder, stakeholder, or champions somehow. And their attitudes might, might be noisy, challenging, critical, promoting. We might have a hidden agenda or we are waiting for some chance to stab the project manager from the back. For example, you meet the middle-level manager on the floor and you get this kind of innocent question like, how's the project coming along? Yeah, and here the team member should know, is this now a friend or a foe? So are there some kind of political overtones? What will be the result if there are some things said in a quite yeah, obvious and also um, honest way, but interpreted in a completely different way? You should make yourself clear what exact intentions the different parties, as just mentioned, might have to see success or failure of your project. That's one thing. So, to identify the political players involved into the project. Now, there is a second aspect you should consider thinking about politics. That's determine the basic nature of a project. So, what does that mean? In the first episode of this Deathmatch Project miniseries, we get some kind of characteristics of Deathmatch Project. So it was big or small project, homogeneous or incompatible, heterogeneous set of customers, whether it's affected by different combinations of schedule, budget and resource constraints, all that jazz. So. But in a second aspect now, we want to characterize the project itself. So finding some kind of a project style. Let's face a simple question. When this project is over, would you consider taking another deathmatch project? There are two key, key issues you should consider if you are, um, yeah, if you are thinking about, yeah, think this question. There are two key issues which needs to be taken into account when answering this question. I want to make some kind of a picture. So let's imagine we have a two-dimensional graph. And it's uh, on the x-axis, we will have something like the chances that the project will succeed. So it's the chance of success. And on the y-axis, we will have the satisfaction or happiness the project members feel while the project continues. So uh, now we have some kind of four combinations on this axis. Let's imagine on the x-axis, as mentioned, it's the chance of success. So we have a low chance of success and we have a high chance of success. On the y-axis, we have a low happiness and a high happiness. Now let's combine these things and look what kind of style of project will result of it. Let's imagine the very first one in the lower, in the lower quadrant. So that's low chance of success and low happiness, and that's so-called suicide projects. <laughs> you can imagine, that's, that's easier, isn't it? So it's, you have a low chance of a success, and there is low happiness in the project, so regularly, this is really a bad situation, and you don't like it. 
In such kind of projects, regularly everybody is doomed and everyone is miserable. The team members and the project members have typically agreed to work on the project only because the, the only other alternative is to get fired, to be fired. And we know from the outset that there is no chance at all of succeeding. Let's take the next one. So if we go on the x-axis to the right side, we have a high chance of success, but low happiness. And this is regularly, these are the kind of projects which are called ugly projects. Ugly in a matter of that it's really, it's some kind of, as already mentioned, this Marine Corps mentality. So something like real programmers don't sleep and uh, we have to work 24-7, uh, things like that. So regularly it's done by some kind of, uh, um, yeah, of master project manager who pushes the, f the, the whole project like hell through all the schedule and everybody is miserable and most likely dead at the very end. So these are the ugly projects. Now let's go to the upper power of the y-axis so if we achieve high happiness. If you have a low chance of success combined with a high happiness, yeah, that's regularly, you know that, that's a kamikaze project. So you, you, you know that you have no real chance, but you feel good with it. <laughs> Sometimes this is, um, I have experienced this kind of project. This is really, you, you know that it's a, a pure death march project and you, you will effectively not succeed in any way, but it's a good combination. You have a good team, you have a good feeling in the team and you like working together. So it's really nice. Maybe it's interesting. Maybe it's a good environment. And maybe you also earn a lot of money, whatever. But it's, yeah, it's kamikaze. And then now come, let's come to the fourth gradient on the right upper corner. That's high chance of success and high happiness. These are the Mission Impossible projects. But as you know from the movie, Mission Impossible is not literally... Be, uh, be used in that manner. So it's simply something which becomes finally possible, but first if all the actors have really worked hard for it. So Mission Impossible, these are the projects you should prefer. So if you can achieve a situation where you find the project style in a matter of there is a high chance of success if you really push everything inside you have, and there is a good mood inside you have, a high happiness factor, this is the project you should prefer in a death march. And otherwise, for your personal sake of, of healthiness, you should use the kamikaze project. We have a low chance of success, but at least you have a good happiness in it. So finally, this is these are the four styles of how project could look like in these kind of death march uh, activities. If you have defined the basic nature of the project, so the style of the project, you should have a look at a third level of, uh, of aspect. That's that you identify the commitment of the project participants. Yeah, what does that mean? So finally, you should have a discussion with your with the project participants, so with the regular project team members, and also with the project manager if you are not if you are not the manager by by yourself, and also with the management to see simply are these guys really willing and able to make the project happen? Is there a commitment available? Of course, I know this is very often quite unsharp and awake uh, evaluation. However, it depends also on the style of the project. 
For example, I have had one time I have had uh, um, to renew a machine control software. It was designed for something like six months duration and it should have been done in three months. And uh, But this was something, it was, it was some kind of Mission Impossible project. We know it's definitely, more or less, it's not possible to do it. But it was a good group. Everybody brought together and there was the leaders and especially the, the, the customer himself. So it was the owner in combination. And they, they always come to us and say, you will do it. That's really good. And we support you. What can we do else? These were the guys bringing the pizza and bringing the drinks and offering a good hotel staying and all that thing. So I have had to stay over the weekends. But it was in a fabulous hotel. And the, the yeah, the the... The way how it was organized was in a way that is really, really pleasurable for us to do it. And finally, we achieved the three months. That was what was finally possible. So you have three things to identify on the political area. So identify the players, determine the style of the project, and identify the level of commitment. And once you have, once you have identified the key players in the project and done all the other stuff, then it's time to move on to the real work of the project. Now, even if you haven't done it now, you will have to do the decision. Will you stay or not? It mainly depends also on the, on the political situation. How does it look like? But finally, let's assume, let's imagine that you're in the DevMatch project now. Whatever style it might have, but the question is now how to continue, how to cope with, the, with this yeah, marvelous situation. Usually, it's a combination. It's regularly a combination of four different things, four different um, aspects. It's first, it's some kind of, you need to have negotiation techniques. You should be aware of people where. You should know tons of processes and you should have tools and technologies at your fingertips. For the very first one, so the negotiation techniques, I will have this episode and the people where the processes and tools and technologies are the other part. That's the other bundle I want to tackle in a different episode. So first of all now, let's go and to see one by one what are the negotiation techniques and how can we tackle this kind of affair. There are some different kind of uh, negotiations. Let's face the very first one, that's the most easiest one, it's the so-called rational negotiation. So that's our negotiations about schedule, budget, size, features, etc. But the problem is here, we are regularly done before the project starts. So that means if you are in the deep shed like with the DiveMarch project, it's no longer time to discuss these things. Very often, instead, very often deadlines are given anyway by higher level management. So, uh, independent of your estimations or, or similar. However, if you have no clue, so there is no estimate, but the management confronts you with the deadline, yeah, you are lost already at the beginning. So very often you find some kind of do or die deadline. So it's, the, it's again the suicide style. But as mentioned, we don't want to be in the suicide style and also not on the ugly project style, but we want to be either kamikaze, but even more, more better, we want to have the mission impossible. So high success rate and high happiness. So beware the temptation to give up. If you face something like, we have no idea how long this project will really take and it doesn't matter since we have already told us the deadline. You might remember such a story. Yeah? 
So we'll just work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, until we drop from exhaustion. We can whip us and beat us, but we can't do any more than that. If you're a red level, that's you're already, yeah, it's it's suicide. And you, you shouldn't follow that one. So therefore, if you have no chance for rational negotiation, okay, what's the other way? What, what can you do instead of that? Yeah, there are maybe, there are some ways out of this situation. Let's have a look at that. First of all, you should imagine you now leave the regular way of how projects are managed out of book. Yeah, so it's something you should imagine and you should have some kind of uh, yeah, idea that deathmatch projects cannot be resolved by simple overtime. And overtime is no solution and it is regularly already a part of the equation which fails. You might be confronted with a ton of different situations you ha you have to tackle, you have to maintain, but you ha you have no kind of room for negotiations. And then, you know what the thing what the guys are doing when they start to gamble. When there is games time, sometimes you will feel like on the bazaar or that just someone has kicked your butt, whatever. So it's simply something you have to know that there are several games on the place. So you need to know games. There was a fabulous essay by Rob Thompson uh, about double dummy spit and other estimating games, especially for this kind of project work. Let's have a look at some of them how Rob has highlighted them and try to explain and how to use them. The first one is doubling and add some. So imagine uh, you have uh, whatever estimating techniques you are using or you have available, double the rational estimate and add some safety. For example, three months, three weeks, three years, whatever, it depends on the size of the project. The major problem with this strategy is that it runs head-on into the most pressing constraints associated with the Deathmatch project schedule. So that, that means you will, if you use this kind of game, you will always be confronted with denial. But it's a starting point you have then. And then you can continue with other games. Let's have, the, let's have a look at the next one. Reverse doubling. That's the regular counteraction on the first techniques about doubling and add some. So reverse doubling simply means that the guys in the management know that this game is ongoing. So you, you, have, you have given your kind of estimation and then they know this guy has already doubled the sum. So we reverse double it. And then you are back at the, at the original values. But that might be some kind of entrance point. And you must be aware of that, especially if you are a newcomer and you are not doubling your amounts, but the other ones will reverse double it. So you will halve them. And finally, you will be confronted with something like that we will tell you, you are uh, far away from our estimation, from our own expectation, so we cannot do that. You get half of, you get only 50% of the amount you have requested for. And then you might be really astonished what's going on. If you are the project manager of uh, Deathmatch or upcoming Deathmatch project, you should be aware also about the third game here in, uh, in negotiation. That's the guess the number I'm thinking of game. So that means um, you, are, um, you are presenting your estimations, the amount of, of schedule, of, of room, of time, of money you need, And uh, the higher level management, senior, senior managers simply deny it. No, no, that's not possible. 
please go back and recalculate. And when you go back and recalculate, and when you come back, and the same thing happens again and again and again, and it's simply something, but nobody tells you what is the acceptable amount of, of numbers. And here you, it's something like, you must be aware of that it might be an iterational game, and finally you end up at exactly that value which the senior manager's management has had already in his mind. I have personally also faced that one here. It was at the very beginning of my of my career. I have done some kind of uh, I have had to calculate some ca uh, some quality numbers, and I calculated the costs of the of the site, and it was uh, for for quality activities. And I presented it to my superior, and he mentioned, "Oh no, that's too much. That's too much. Um, that must be lower, and this one must be higher." I said, "But but that's but that's not according to the numbers." He said, "Okay, it doesn't matter. It's that's important, but it must be like that. That's the one. That that these are the numbers which are expected." To be honest, I was really puzzled, and finally, also, I gave it up. This kind of job, and yeah, changed to another. Uh, activity area. Very often seen is the next game, and that's the double dummy spit. Dummy spit, that's the Australian um, uh, token or the Australian name for a baby pacifier. So the Suver in German, it's the Schnuller or La Sucette or the Naizu or Pacificator. So things like, so the the, the the small thing you put babies into the mouth that way get silent that they are pacified and this is um, this this uh, negotiation game goes like that you as a project manager you come to the senior manager and present your numbers and we get really enraged in a big rage and we spit out the dummy and we are we are really uh, really and and um, angry yeah, and you go away and say, what's going on? I, I, I don't know. And then you come next time again and we're again spitting out the dummy. Oh, no, that's not possible. So, and this is, this is a particular kind of a game. It does not mean that it is really this kind of, that there is some kind of valid substance behind of it. It might be simply the way to reduce your influence, you reduce your amount of, of reliability and simply come to the point that you are the one who is finally in charge with a tremendously low amount of, of resources and reduced probability to achieve your project targets. When Let's face another game here. That's the so-called Spanish Inquisition. How does that regularly happen? It's something like um, you're coming to... Uh, you might have, if you are a project manager, you might have faced this kind of situation and you might be already afraid of it. You are walking into a meeting with some superiors and then suddenly you are asked to provide some kind of estimation on base of uh, estimation or of a statement which a superior has already given. Example, you um, yeah you imagine a room full of uh, grouchy vice presidents staring at you, while the CEO asks you in some yeah some severe undertone. So Smithers, when do you expect to get the frozzle system done? I've told the whole management team that we'll have it online by mid March. You're not going to let me down, are you? If you are brave enough to suggest that mid-November would be a more realistic estimate, you'll have, you'll have a dozen inquisitors questioning your intellect, your credential, your loyalty, and perhaps even your religious faith. So 
be aware of this kind of situation and be prepared. Then, there might be a game of uh, some kind of a low bid. If you, for example, have uh, wanted to do all the details in-house, and then there might be some kind of low bidders from the outside who say, uh, yeah, we can do the same, the same thing for less money. And this might be used by different political stakeholders to press charges from your side. Somehow we come confront you, yeah, this company will do it for half of the money. And when you are in big trouble, because then you have now to, to dig deeper and see, is it really the same? Can we do it? What do we expect? Etc. Etc. But you have a lot of things to do in addition of the whole work you have to do. And therefore, be aware of this kind of game because it will finally end up in the two next games which are available. The next game is the gotcha game. So it means if you come, for example, with this low bit and you are suddenly catched in some way, you cannot escape, even if you recognize that it's unrealistically optimistic what the, what the, what the other company or what the other, uh, what the other provider has, has uh, foreseen as an estimation of the effort, and it will never succeed, it doesn't matter because you are suddenly catched into the game, we have got you. And here, here they might have you. It might be essential that you have to accept even this kind of unrealistic project proposals. And you must be aware of that, what, what you can do with that. And the next thing is then also this kind of Chinese water torture. And it's some kind of, uh, yeah, very strange um, thing that you might be confronted with, uh, especially if you are more or less uh, the project manager of a quite big project and there are some sub-projects you might be confronted with from the, from the lower part that the guys, when we, for example, have something like 12 months or 12 deliveries and uh, every month, every week or every second week there will be a delivery and then they start even in the first or second delivery to be one day late. And when we say, yeah, this is something like which might happen and so on, but you need to have some kind of probability that it happens again. And then uh, you would have, if the next in the next week or the next two weeks, it happens again. And suddenly you are for the overall project, you are already two days late. And, so, and with the next delivery, it happens again. So finally, there is an accumulated delay, which finally will... Yeah, it, it will exaggerate, it will really end up in a very high amount of, of, of delay. And you must be aware of this kind of uh, Chinese water torture game from the very beginning. You might see if it, if it repeats, then you have to do already countermeasures for that. You see, this kind of game story is something which is rather unsatisfied to say, okay, uh, what can we effectively do at that moment? Is it, there, is no, there is no real escape out of these games, but you should recognize them. They, this kind of, of adult games is something which regularly happens, and therefore, essentially, you should clarify who are the political stakeholders, who are the persons behind of this whole story, and you should have your combatants or your supporters with you. You should have identified them beforehand. 
not that you simply start blindfolded, that you start uh, well-hearted, all that uh, kind of, of, of attitudes are fine, we are brave, but finally you might fail. And therefore, please provide some time to clarify very clearly in the very beginning who are the persons, who are the ones who are with me and who are more or less or who are expectable against me. And then continue. And then you might detect the games and then you might be able to make countermeasures quite quickly. Okay, how might some yeah, some kind of countermeasures look like? I think the very best approach is to make some kind of acceptable trade-offs. So identify acceptable trade-offs. For example, um, if some kind of uh, yeah potentially 80 20 rules that's very often something you can you can make in the matter of that you say okay what can we do with 20% of the effort but provide 80% satisfaction very often you can provide uh, something which is not completely ready but it has some major aspects re realized there are major features available and then you have to concentrate on that that will would mean that you have to concentrate the work of your team in on very dedicated aspects of your whole system. So that also means that potentially th things like agile work or scrum work or uh, any other kind of, of common working attitude might be simply thwarted for, the, for this time because you have to very dedicatedly control the output of, the, of of in such kind of, of projects. Maybe there is some some intention to do things which would have preferably done later on, but they are essential to make the th the, the system working at that point, I, at least for this kind of 80% performance. Then a very good thing is to make some kind of step deliveries. So what's effectively needed at what phase? It's it's the same as if you build a house. Uh, nobody would expect that the roof tiles are are um, are brought to the to the construction area at the very beginning because you you need it at the, at the middle time. It's the same for the for the for the for the windows. You don't need them at that time. So it's regularly it's you start with the fundament. You got some concrete. You need some steel inside and and all these other details at that level and all the other things could be postponed. And that's the same for a project. So very often you can distinguish between different deliveries. So very often the customer cannot even use the whole the whole product. He can only use a part of it and then concentrate on this part. Uh, for example, also uh, you might have uh, uh, the opportunities that the guys request that it is cheap, that it is fast and that it is good. So, But everybody knows you can only achieve two of them at once. And this is for me always a point where we say, okay, how can we how can we model this situation that we satisfy two of these of these goals so either be cheap and fast and not that good or you you know, you know the other com uh, combinations but there th this this is something you have to concentrate on that so and if you are catched if you are caught in this kind of game playing negotiating negotiation game playing then you have to think about these details okay how can i escape from that how can we do it so and very often, these kind of games are aiming towards the situation where it is cheap, where it is maybe fast, you don't get the time, and that it is good. And then you can nail the guys down and say, okay, cheap, fast, and good. What exactly do you prefer? Which of the ones can I drop? And now we come to the point, what if these kind of negotiations fail? That might be the, the rather exciting point.
first of all, quit. Either the project or the company. Um, yeah, more easy like, uh, easy saying here, yeah. So, But on the other side, it's something you must face in such kind of deathmatch projects. You are always on a very sharp edge. Your, your way is on a very sharp edge and on both sides, it's not that not that pleasant. And therefore, you should have a clear, clear focus what is acceptable for you and what not. And one one other opportunity to handle that if the negotiations fail is to appeal to a higher authority. Mm, this sometimes has, has a good chance to, to succeed, if you have the connection, of course. So simply pasting out of nowhere to some superior might end up in nowhere because, uh, because the guys don't know you. No, don't know you. But if we know you, then there is a good chance that it succeeds. But there is also a good chance that you will be kicked out at once because you have broken the regular chain of, of, of reporting. I I have I have done that uh, two times in my in my career that I have in some kind of projects appealed to higher authorities. Um, my superiors were not do not appreciated that, so they were not really pleased about it. Yeah, let's say it that way. So finally, I get my I get my seat placed outside of the company. <laughs> but this is something you have to take into account that might happen if you are convinced, and I was convinced at that time that. What that what the guys are doing is definitely wrong, and when I I I yeah I concentrated on that and explained it, and they they didn't like it. But finally, even as I was kicked out, we changed something. But okay, good. Yeah, the others had have the benefit, and I have had the out time. No, so, and third thing will be that you determine your own constraints. So that also means that you should prefer. Um, I mean. Your your healthiness is much more important than any kind of uh, than any kind of success of of a project. I one one time was at a congress uh, in a city nearby about um, about healthiness of men, and they told me something like um, men uh, men ruin their healthiness in the first half of their life to pay the treatment of the ruined healthiness in the second time of the life. And what, what, that was something like wake-up call for me. I said, okay, uh, that cannot be the way how, how things should walk, uh, how things should go. So, and also here it means um, that if the, if the regional negotiations fail, also one opportunity is for you that you redefine the project as a kamikaze or suicide-style project and make sure, guys, that the entire project team knows it. So if it was previously simply a kamikaze or a, a Mission Impossible project, which might be good, and when it degradates to a suicide or even ugly project, everybody should be aware of it. By the way, if the employer threatens to fire you if the Deathmatch project fails, then you should be equally cold-blooded if you are given impossible constraints for the projects. I remember one time um, uh, a uh, guy who was I, I was working with, he was a he was a software program manager for a quite big program, software program in a in in a multinational um, a software and hardware company. And this guy was we, we we were facing really 
ugly tight targets and we tried everything to succeed but it was finally it was not possible it was definitely not possible we have done everything 24 7 working over christmas and all these things were done but it was not possible and then we requested from us even more and then he stood up and said no that's not possible and i said okay if it's not possible you are the wrong man I said okay when i'm the wrong man when i will quit either you reduce your amount of of requests or i quit and when we needed some minutes to uh, yeah to uh, to evaluate this statement whether this is really his truth his honesty and it was, and he was prepared to leave at this exactly minute. Uh, that finally changed things. So this finally, the suddenly disappeared. He said, "Okay, no, we 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 cannot avoid. Uh, uh, no, we we cannot miss this person, and therefore, okay, we change things. But be aware of it. Might be that you call that you will be called. Yeah, that your that your uh, that your bet will be called in some way, and then you are suddenly outside. But." Sometimes you have to do that because even if you succeed during the DevMark project, you might have buried so many bridges that after the project, you and perhaps the rest of the team too will be so unpopular that you'll have to quit anyway. You see, negotiations, that's one big topic how to survive DevMark projects. You must be aware of it. You must maintain it. You must be the best thing would be you are a master in this kind of negotiations, but regularly also have you have some technical background. You have uh, other things. You have learned different things, and you might be uh, not a winner in such kind of negotiations. But at least you should be aware of it, and you should be clear and straight in your behavior, and you should be also aware of what what happens if this kind of negotiations fail. And I've given you some ways how to uh, maybe also to escape out of that. But again, my highlight, uh, that's what I have always done. I wanted to know the guys. So roughly now, it's I think three weeks ago, there were some requests to me. I said, okay, that's complete nonsense. What does it mean? Yeah. So it, and nobody of my superiors were, were able to explain to me. And when I have gone through the whole hierarchy of the company to the other side and asked direct the requester, who I've had a quite good contact with, and that, hey, what do you effectively want from me? What, sh what shall we do? And when we clarify that on a, on a very personal level, and that, that was the thing, that, I, that you know what are the political backgrounds. And he, he passed me also some additional information he has not given to anybody else. And when I know how to continue with, uh, with, with, the, with the whole project, this was the first episode about how to survive DevMarch projects. In the next episode, we'll tackle the aspects of peopleware. Of course, this whole material stays theoretical until the very moment you recognize the typical indications of a DevMarch project. And then, hopefully, you remember these episodes, jump on them and get the hang of it. You will make the transfer into practice by yourself, so go on. I would be really happy to get your feedback on your experiences with DevMarch projects. Just comment in the show notes of this episode or send me your feedback via embeddedsuccess.com slash feedback. You might have some experiences with DevMarch projects. At least you are reading Dilbert. Please don't tell me that you don't. In there you find regularly the prototypes of DevMarch projects. And as Scott Adams relies on outside contributors, there must be some of you survivors out there. So come on. The show notes for this episode, by the way, you'll find at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 39. And as mentioned, this episode will be continued for the remaining peopleware, processes, and tools topics. By the way, 
In the meantime, I received several connection requests from LinkedIn. I appreciate them for sure. However, one hint for you guys. If you want to personalize your requests, and you should do that, when connect from a regular PC system, not a, not your smartphone, because the smartphones are somehow, the, the LinkedIn app on the smartphones is somehow uh, restricted and limited. But if you use a PC system, then when you can, at the moment you press the button to connect, you can select whether this person is a friend or a colleague, a mate or something like that, then select friend. Even that's not true at that moment, but select friend because then you have uh, the possibility to enter a free text which is sent to the destination. So which, which makes your connection request very individual and you more attractive, more attractive, at least much more attractive than the regular LinkedIn default, please add me to your professional network. So please give it a try and you will see the results become much more better for all your requests. This was the jolting 39th episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I'm Georg Lohrer. Thank you for listening.